Welcome into Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Casey Phillips and Scott Smith here. And again, this is where we answer all of your questions. Last week, we were at the Combine, so we were just talking about all of that. Didn't get a chance to get to anybody's questions, so I'm sure we have quite a few, and especially now that the Combine has happened. You know, for a long time, we're just speculating based on the same sort of old information, and then now it feels like we at least get this sort of... There's a lot of new information. There's a lot of new information that we can talk about. So I guess let's just go ahead and start with that idea of as we give people a chance to send in some of their questions, um, the biggest things you felt like you learned from the combine, especially compared to maybe what you were hoping to learn going in, you know, the things that you were going to be paying attention to. This seems like a really deep class in a lot of ways. Um, Wide receivers, offensive linemen. Um, One of the things that seems clearer now is that that group of top-tier offensive tackles is really, really good, and it's actually – they may be too good, unfortunately. If the Buccaneers don't make a move and you're sitting there at 14, do any of those top four guys make it to 14? I'm starting to wonder that now. And, and I, we've said this, or I've said this on a couple of these shows, that to me, the option of getting an offensive tackle at 14 this year was a nice match of what we need and, and the top-tier right. talent that's going to be available. But is it going to be available? But then there are other guys. It goes deeper than four. But you hear mostly about Jedrick Wills and Mackay Becton and Tristan Wirfs and Andrew Thomas. And, man, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if all four of those guys go before the Buccaneers. Which is unfortunate. And yeah, you kind of want people to – do well, but it's not exactly so right. well that they are gone before we get to them. 100%. And let's talk about a quarterback. Let's say Jordan Love had a very nice um, scouting combine. Mm-hmm. Not only did he do well at the podium answering questions, but he had a nice workout. And, you know, the question on him was why did his last season, I think he was a junior, why did mm-hmm. his junior season look like a downturn from a very good sophomore season? Of course, he had to answer all those questions, and it does make you wonder a little bit, and that's why – when this sort of mock draft season started, if you want to call it that, you were seeing him more projected as like a second round pick or maybe late first round. But uh, he seemed to have, his stock seemed to have risen at the combine. And is that a good thing or a bad thing for the Buccaneers? You know, both Bruce Arians and uh, Jason Light said they would like to take a quarterback somewhere in this draft. I didn't get the impression they meant in the first round, Mm. but they would like to take a quarterback somewhere in in this draft to develop because one of them said a phrase along the lines of, if it's the right guy at the right time in the draft. So maybe Jordan Love putting himself in the category of maybe a top 10 pick is a good thing for the Buccaneers. Right. You know, maybe that's that pushes another player, a non-quarterback, down one. Or maybe it's a bad thing because it's a guy they were hoping to get in the second round. I mean, I obviously don't know that, you know, because they're not going to say. Right. But, you know, it's you see these guys rising. And another thing about the combine and the, these mock drafts and that term draft stock, you you read all these very interesting articles after the combat about guys who are probably risers on draft boards mm-hmm. and fallers. I think that's a bit more of our perception of their value. I don't right. think that our guys and all the other 31 teams ran back to their facilities and went to their draft rooms and got to their board and started moving guys around drastically right. because, yeah. wow, that guy ran a 4 7 mm-hmm. at the combine. I think it's more like the outer public and the media starts to get a better feel for how teams value these guys. Mm-hmm. So they're moving up the mock draft boards, but they're, you know, there's a good chance that like Henry Ruggs, the receiver from Alabama, ran a four two seven forty, and people, okay, he's solidifying his spot in the top half of the first round. Right? Maybe he was already there on most draft boards. You know what I'm yeah, saying? But we're getting one. a better feel for it, so these mock drafts get to be—I don't know if "accurate" is the right word, but maybe a better representation of how these guys are going to go. Okay, um, I'm going to combine that was a really basically. Long answer. Yeah, I'm going to combine basically all the questions into one thing. Okay. Of just, an, we talked a little bit about the quarterbacks that were 
at the combine things you brought up Jordan Love guys like that but just overall what we've learned about what now that we've Our heard from yeah Bruce and and you know <clears throat> Jason are getting a chance to talk for the first time in a long time you know there's always around the combine a lot of free agency rumors news all of that so now that we've talked a little bit about the combine quarterbacks how about outside of that of who we we already have in the building and then potential other options and what some of the things are being said well they continue to say the same general idea about Jameis Winston. Are we going to try to bring Jameis Winston back? Are we going to use a franchise tag? Are we going to try to get a long-term deal, short-term deal, et cetera? And that it's a little it, – even now on March 4th, it's a little too early to know for sure because they don't – and they keep using that same phrase, door number two. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these dominoes haven't fallen yet. With right. I mean, even huge names like Tom Brady. But there's others out there, and, you know, um, Teddy Bridgewater, mm-hmm. Ryan Tannehill. Until some of these things start to happen, uh, you know, let's just hypothetically say uh, Tom Brady signed with Tennessee. Right. Then Ryan Tannehill would probably be available. Or right. if he signs yeah, with the Raiders, something. Yeah, maybe they want to trade Derek Carr, things like that. And you can't really know for sure until you get a little closer. And right now we're halfway through the window, the two-week window, where you can put on a franchise tag, which would be one option for the Buccaneers to sort of hedge their bets a little mm-hmm. bit uh, or, or the transition tag. Um, but they haven't done it as of yet. They have until ne- the 12th, okay. um, which is a week from tomorrow, to do so. But also you, you're thinking about if franchise tag in terms of Shaq Barrett comes up first, right? But you can until unless a new CBA is ratified before then, before the start of the new league year, which would change the rules, if that doesn't happen, right now teams can use both a franchise and a transition tag, which you don't normally have the ability to do. You can only do one in any given year. Yeah, the timing is so fascinating about how people said that they they don't remember a time where there were this many big-name people, especially just quarterbacks in That's general, crazy. that are all in play. And it just so happens to be also at the time where you're not sure about the CBA yeah. with the tags and everything. And it's like, man, the fact that all of this is combining at once is making it to me, probably one of the most, I mean, you've had, you've done a lot of more of these than me, but like one of the most confusing years yeah. in terms of trying to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah, I feel for the guys upstairs, yeah. the guys that have to work on these contracts because right. it is sort of an unknown landscape right mm-hmm. now. Um, Mike wanted to know what other pieces will we potentially be looking for cheap options in free agency? Well, and his example he gave was backup linebackers. Yeah, that's a good question. And that's one good answer. Also, um, what about a third receiver if Prashad Perryman, um, it doesn't return, and there's a good chance that'll happen because he may have earned himself a bigger paycheck than we can really do for our right. third receiver. Um, I would also say safety. There's a whole lot of safeties available, and there's there's enough question marks with our safety group, including what are we, you know, just I, which guys are going to be the starters, the right. young guys. Right, and just and health has Justin played Evans. such a big factor between, yeah, Justin Evans and even guys like Dakota Dixon. That, was, that they're just overall, yeah. the health has just been... That's the reason why I was... Uh, uh, forgetting my words there for a minute because I was trying to say Justin Evans and for some reason Jamal Adams was right, in my yeah. head and I couldn't get the, around the words Jamal Adams and I knew we don't have Jamal Adams because if we did have Jamal Adams we wouldn't have we a question We would not about have safety. a question there, yeah. But, uh, you know, there's a lot. There's a ton of safeties that are potentially going to become free agents and I'm not talking about the top tier guys like Simmons in Denver or, or um, uh, the guy in, in Minnesota, the, the two main guys that are going to get big contracts. There's mm-hmm. a lot of what you'd probably call mid-tier guys mm. that should be available. So there's a couple spots I think you could go. And I also like the backup linebacker idea. Yeah. Um, Does anybody question? Anybody have the question of who stole our chairs? Uh, no, I don't no, think anyone has really yet. paid that much of attention to our show. I think that we're giving a lot of credit for that. Um, Matt had asked, uh, what do you think the Bucks will do with Shaq Barrett? And I wanted to sort of add on to this that 
something I think is interesting, again, about timing with this, of if Shaq had not had the season that he did, you know, when you are able to only do one franchise tag, do you feel, how much does that influence the idea of what the team potentially would do with Jameis or not, of how that has sort of thrown a wrench into well, some yeah. of these plans? You mean 19 and a half sacks and leading the NFL? Yeah, that, that little record. thing that he did. Yeah, and that made him pretty much indispensable, right, invaluable, Un, you, the guy you can't let get out right. the door. So that's why I think he's the main candidate for the franchise tag. And I know that the franchise tag can get uh, a little bit adversarial between teams and players. Players don't like the franchise mm -hmm. tag because it limits their ability to hit the market and, and have teams compete for them. Uh, it does carry with it a very large one-year salary, right. but they want long-term, uh, you know, their future for they want it locked down, right, right. long term. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to end up being adversarial mm. um, because what a team probably in our position is doing if they put a tag on Shaq isn't trying to get him to play for one year. It's just extending the exclusive negotiating window for him. And there's exclusive and non-exclusive franchise tags, but even the non-exclusive franchise tag is still close to being exclusive because the, if you get the non-exclusive tag, you can negotiate with other teams, but if you we could match – first of all, mm -hmm. and if you don't match, that other team has to send you two first-round picks, and not a lot of teams are willing to trade two first-round picks for right. almost any player. Right. So, uh, to me, if it gets to March 12th and no deal is done with Shaq Barrett, then I would suspect that the Bucks would use the tag, but then they just keep negotiating. The last time we used the tag, and it's, it's not on the same scale, but it's the same idea, the last time we used the tag was in 2012 on Connor Barth, and uh, in, by May they had a new four-year contract done. So you don't have to stop negotiating. That's okay. the point. Uh, Mike had asked, uh, what position do you see us going with in the first round? Well, I would have said, and I think I have said a couple times here, um, that offensive tackle makes the most sense to me. But from what I said earlier, I'm wondering what's going to be left, you know, at, by the 14th pick. Right. Um, if it's not that, I would suspect it'd be a defensive front seven player uh, because it just seems like it'll be difficult to retain all of the free agents that we have. And there, there could be value there, especially if all those – three or four quarterbacks and three or four offensive linemen go, now you're getting one of the top defenders, right? So I, I would think, you know, a guy like Caleb on chase on or mm. guys like that. Um, I just saw that we had a couple of questions about OJ Howard, that that was something that also we'd had a lot of yeah. uncertainty with. And now, you know, we got to hear, you know, coach get asked about him at the combine. You know, did you feel like you got any kind of clarity on what they might see in terms of whether or not he's a tradable person, how big of a role they want to see, yeah. you know, was, was last year sort of hopefully a, a yeah. fluke in terms of his involvement? I think that actually the the stuff that helped me get a little clarity on that more was what Jason Light said. And he was asked about, you know, this is the year, this is the spring in which you have to decide whether you're going to exercise the fifth-year option on OJ because he's a first-round pick, so they get a four-year deal mm -hmm. with an option for the team for a fifth year, and that option has to be exercised between the third and the fourth season, which is where we are with OJ right now. Right. So um, I think that OJ has shown enough, even though last season wasn't what we expected, I think he's shown enough that you would probably take that fifth-year option, go ahead and exercise it. And Jason Lai didn't say for sure that we were going to do that, but he did say we had a plan and he felt good about it. Okay. And then asked about whether he could still be traded because there's always been trade rumors swirling around him. Um, Jason Light said, listen, you, you're going to think I'm being cryptic here, but I'm not. I'm just telling you, you always listen if somebody's mm -hmm. going to call. Because you never know if somebody blows your doors off with a trade offer for right. any player. Yeah. But he said, we do see, uh, we, we do have a plan for OJ in this offense. So I think they still have the belief that OJ can be a very productive player in this offense and that last season was probably 
wasn't indicative of what he can be. Okay. Uh, Jesse asked, what's the best option for our third wide receiver? Resign Perriman, free agent wide receiver, or draft a wide receiver? I think probably the third one there, just because now I, I think you're saying, you said best option, but I, if we fold into their best and also most likely, right. just because resigning Perriman may take a lot more than we want to spend. We have so many other players that we want to sign, right? Right. So um, there's some free agents out there, but again, what are you going to pay? Then you get to the draft, and they're calling this the deepest draft of wide receivers perhaps of all time. There's 25, 35 players at the receiver group who have who people are considering worthy of picks in the first two days, first three rounds of the draft. That's a ton. I mean, you could get you could legitimately get a guy like Chris Godwin in the second or third round this year. You can have you can go into this draft feeling very good, no matter how many teams are out there trying to get a receiver that you can get a good one in the first right. rounds on the second day. So we have a second and a third round pick at the moment, and who knows with trades, Jason Light wouldn't be the first time he's added picks in the second and third round through trades. So um, I would say you could get an instant impact guy uh, through the draft, so that would be my answer. Okay, and Daniel said, would extending Godwin and keeping Mike Evans put too much money into one position group because he might warrant upwards of $12 million a year? Yeah, I just think it is weird. It does feel like it might be a strain on the cap to have big dollar contracts for two receivers, but that's just where you are. You know what I'm saying? You just have to make it work. I don't think it puts too much of a strain. It is something you have to work around. It's like when you, it's like when you go from, it's like when Seattle went from having Russell Wilson on his rookie contract, MVP caliber player playing on a rookie deal, and he's the best value in the NFL, and then. He hits free agency and you got to pay him $35, $40 million a year. That makes it a lot tougher, but you got to do what you got to do. You got to make it work. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks as always to all of you guys for sending in those questions. We'll be back next week, and we promise every week now we are getting closer to having more answers <laughs> to things. We are almost through this time where we don't know what's going to happen. So come back next week and we'll see you then.